Mark 13, verses 24 to 37. But in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory and he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening, or at midnight, or when the cock crows, or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Thanks be to God. So let's pray. Eternal God, help us to enter the mystery of your coming in Jesus, the meekness and the majesty, the one who set aside glory and power and came to serve and save humanity. Help us to worship and to watch, to listen and to walk his way. Amen. So the countdown begins to whatever Christmas will bring this year. Will you gather or keep apart? Will you travel or stay in your home? Christmas, they say, has been saved. But what might that really mean in our hearts and minds? Is the government plan enough to save Christmas, to save Christmas from sentimentality and commercialism, to save it from the stresses and strains and family breakdowns, the excess or the debt and poverty. Someone said recently, let's have the best Christmas ever. And the other person replied, you can't really beat the first one. 
And maybe that's what Advent is about. Maybe it's helping us to refocus on that first great mystery of God with us in a child. A child born far from home and placed in a cattle trough for a crib. A child who then became part of a refugee family. Maybe that's what Advent is about, refocusing us that we may truly celebrate Christmas and Christmas may save us. Advent can take us to that place of meekness and majesty, a vulnerable child, yet one proclaimed by the angels of heaven and worshipped by the shepherds and the wise men from the east. God there in the midst and the mess of human life and the created order of this world, touched by pain and joy, vulnerable and yet powerful. So Advent can take us back, but Advent doesn't just look back to an event 2,000 years ago. It's about the here and now as well. Advent can take us to the Christ who comes among us, disguised in every human face that expresses vulnerability and need, or expresses kindness and love. Watch, Jesus said, to his disciples. Watch, watch out. See me wherever I may come. Stay awake. Be on guard. Be alert. One of our family jokes is being lurts. We must all be lurts during Advent. Be alert to Christ's coming. Not in the past, not in the future, but now and meeting you through the voice of a friend or a stranger, through the cries of, for help in our hurting world. Keep watch. You do not know when the master of the house will come back, Jesus says. Christ knocks at the door of our own times, our own nation, our own neighbourhood. That's why I think our charity and pastoral work at this time of year is especially potent. It speaks of that meeting with Christ in the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, and those in prison. Whatever you did for the least of these, Christ says, you did for me. So I'm glad that several pages of the new December newsletter are devoted to our charity work. Do have a good read of those. Lots of things going on, lots of different ways in which we're supporting work locally and further afield. In particular, our plans to collect money for families and children, local families and children in 
real financial need at this time. In crisis because of the pandemic and many other reasons. So please do support those uh, appeals within the magazine. And also our plans to continue to support Christian aid and commitment for life. And our prayers that our government will have a change of heart before it claws back that country's, our country's commitment to the aid programme to the poorest of the world. Reducing it from 0.7 to 0.5% may not seem a lot, but it will affect millions of people. And it will be a step back from that commitment that goes back decades that the UN wanted all nations to commit 0.7%. Uh, our church took that up with its 1% appeal that then became commitment for life. So do speak out and do write to one of the MPs, uh, Beaconsfield or Wickham MP, please. Advent points us back, yes, to the event in the stable. It points us to here and now, to Christ coming to us in the needs of others and in their words as well. Come, Lord Jesus, here and now. And Advent does more than that. It points forward to the ultimate victory of God, the fulfilling of God's kingdom of justice and joy, compassion and peace. The day and the time of that fulfilment, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven or the Son of God. But that day will come. According to Jesus, only God, only God the Father, knows when that day of the kingdom will come. Now the readers of Mark's Gospel expected that day just around the corner, any moment. They lived, they felt, in end times. They believed that their generation wouldn't pass away before the words of Jesus were fulfilled. And when that day didn't come, and generations passed, they struggled, and then they remembered those words. No one, not even the angels or the Son of God, know the day of that coming. Now, sometimes in the centuries since, Christians have got caught up in expecting that day, any moment, of proclaiming the end is nigh. Remember those old posters, the end of the world is nigh, the billboard that old gentlemen in towns might wear at times. There's a cartoon at the moment, the end of the world is nigh on one sign and then on the other sign, but the end of Brexit isn't. Well, we will see what the next few weeks brings. For most of us, the language of end times is strange. We struggle with the book of Revelation at the end of the Bible 
and with the kind of reading we heard today, with all its imagery of Christ coming in glory on the clouds and gathering all his elect. That future advent, that future-looking advent, is hard for us 21st century Christians to come to terms with. And yet we are all living in end times. It's a reality. Time does not stand still. Time moves on. Things pass. Things change. Things die. We can only move forward day by day, minute by minute. We live, and every generation live, in end times. We want to hang on to the present or the past, but we move steadily into the future. And the future, and perhaps we're especially aware of this at the moment, the future can seem uncertain and frightening. And yet the reading assures us that the future is, despite all that, is also filled with new hope. That's what Jesus does in this passage from Mark's Gospel. He fills a frightening future with hope, above all with his presence, now liberated from the restrictions of flesh and blood. The Son of Man, in great power and glory, yet still bearing the scars of the cross, still full of compassion and grace, meekness and majesty. Heaven and earth will pass away, he says, but my words will never pass away. And his word, above all, is love. Love. The love of God for this world, the creator loving the created. The end is not oblivion, but life within that love of God. Love the creator, the saviour, and the sustainer. Thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.